Twitch. Welcome to our first live stream here on uh, uh, on Twitch. I I am here. I'm Dan Thompson, the Dungeon Master, here with James Lockhart. <laughs> so what what is it we're looking at today? Uh, this is something we have never done before. We have never done a review as such, but we had all of the books for the Gen Con releases come through for us from Paizo. So what um, we're going to do, I thought, on this episode is that we're going to take one of those books, the biggest release, the Advanced Player's Guide, mm -hmm. and we're going to do an in-depth review of it here uh, on a live stream. So we're going to talk through uh, the Advanced Player's Guide, talk through chapter by chapter what you're going to find in it, try and do a bit of a review on it. We're also recording this, so if you are in America, I'm aware this is a very early stream for you. Um, but the embargo <laughs> lifted at the start of today, so we're allowed to talk about it today, and we want to do it as soon as possible. But we are recording this, so you will get to hear a, a version of this come out on the podcast feed, assuming nothing has gone wrong with it. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. Um, Fingers but crossed. that's the plan. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to go over this book. We'll mention some of the other ones a little bit, but uh, basically this is what we're going to look at today. If you want to talk to us, I will try and get the Twitch chat up if I can. I don't know if I'll be able to, um, to just by tuning into it. But if you want to talk to us, if you're any of the Dangerlings, go on our Discord. If you're not a member of our Discord yet, dangercardpodcast.com, click on the Discord link. Uh, and we'll be in the Danger Club chat. We'll be taking any questions you've got about the book as we go through it. Um, so, bit of an experiment. Hopefully, it should be a lot of fun. I think it'll be a lot of fun, definitely. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what this book has to offer. It is a mighty tome. Uh, let us put it this way. I'm glad it's not physically in my hands because it's, it's massive. Yeah. I'm buying a copy of this one. This is one of the ones that I am definitely picking up a copy of. So let's dive in and talk about what you get. So what is the Advanced Player's Guide? The way Paizo have talked about it is that um, the APG is sort of, they talk about it as being like the fourth leg of the table that is Pathfinder 2nd Edition. So right then and there you sort of see that is the kind of that is the kind of book that we are dealing with here. And that's the kind of game that Pathfinder 2nd Edition is. It, it is a game that to really get the most of you need four books um i'm not sure you do but that's sort of the way they framed it so they said the four core books are the core book obviously which you need to play the game the bestry because you need monsters to fight the game mastery guide which breaks down how the rules work and allows you to homebrew content uh, and now the advanced players guide which gives you um all of your extra options for as a player um, that you want that you wouldn't have had otherwise and really fleshes out a lot of the concepts that are in the, the core book on a side note i would argue you probably don't need the game mastery guide we've talked about that on one of our facebook live streams it's a really interesting book it's got some really interesting stuff there if you're a game master nerd and you want to dive down into all the, the bits and bobs of how to do it you don't need the right. game mastery guide to play this game um you don't really need the uh, all of the uh, the APG, but I I would say that this is a more essential book overall than um, than the other one. So what the Advanced Player's Guide is is it's going to give you loads of extra options of uh, things that you can play as a player in Pathfinder, um, loads of extra things that you can do um, for your characters. So we're going to have loads of we're going to have some new ancestries in here. We've got four new classes. We've got something like 40-something archetypes. The archetype system finally comes into its own uh, and allows 40. you to make loads and loads of crazy characters. Um, and then, as you would expect, 
you're going to have your feats, you're going to have your spells, you're going to have your items. You've also got lots and lots of art in here, and we'll you know we'll talk about some of that as we go along. But what I would suggest, yes, you forty. There are a lot. Forty. Um, exactly more than forty. What I would suggest is we just go through chapter by chapter, and we'll chat about the different things that are in here, and 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 some opinions on sort of what makes them good, what makes them bad, uh, and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. Sound good? Yeah, sounds great. Uh, so I'm just showing everybody the uh, we've scrolled down to the uh, the contents, and I can see that as is traditional for Pathfinder things, the first is ancestries and backgrounds. Oh, lots of lovely artwork as well, as per. It Beautiful is, artwork. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, sorry. There's new backgrounds as well. <laughs> oh, <laughs> of course there is. Of course there is, because this is Pathfinder, and it has to be as complicated as possible. Um, but it's great. It's great. I love it. I love it. It's, it's so much. It's so rich. The characters you can make with it. Yeah, I mean, the, the big part of uh, sort of one of the real goals with Second Edition, I think, is that you can go to your game master and you can say, "I want to play this. How do I do it?" And there is a path to be able to do that with everything rather than sort of saying, well, just play a fighter and make it all up as you go along and just make up the rest of all the flavor. Just um, like there are mechanical ways of getting to exactly the kind of character you want. Uh, The backgrounds, it's mostly we'll get to the backgrounds. There's a few changes in it. The introduction super quick. Straight away, you can see what the new ancestries are laid out. So your new ancestries, you're going to have cat folk. You've got kobolds. You have orcs, you have rat folk, and you have, shout out to Colin Hubbard, you have the Tengu, uh, finally. <laughs> what? And you have uh, versatile heritages, heritages as well, which we'll get to. What a splendid outfit the rat folk is wearing. What? I mean, she looks amazing, uh, like, like a character from Mary Poppins. Look at that. I mean, who knew the rat folk would dress so well? We are going to have much to say about the clothing of the rat folk and the cat folk, in fact. They're just wonderful. Yeah. A, a lot of the um, options that are in this book in terms of ancestries and classes are based on when the original playtest of second edition was done and the original sur- a lot of surveys were put out to players to sort of say, what ancestries do you want to see in this game? What first edition classes do you want to see in this game? Uh, and they did a lot of votes on what sort of people liked playing. And a lot of this came up. Uh, and what you're seeing in this book are some of the really highly ranked ones. These are ancestries and classes that people in first edition really, really loved. Um, in some senses, in some cases, actually more than core um, uh, ancestries and classes. Um, wow. And more than the Lost Omens character guide. That's the slight slightly skewed one is the lost omens character guide ones were kind of the runners up to this one but that book came out first just because of the printing schedule so we got leshies and lizard folk and hobgoblins really early on Um, but now we're getting um some of the stuff that people wanted Uh, you'll see straight away there's a lot of dex characters in this dex is a if you like characters with a high dex then all of these characters are, are, are going to appeal to you let's start shall we with the cat folk Alrighty, uh, always uh, a favourite. Look, look at, at that. this guy's amazing outfit. Look at him. He is straight from Boomtown. Like that is that is amazing. I love him. He, right. sort of looks, he looks a bit like Velder in kind of jaunty cat form. Yeah, it, it, I, I I think I messaged this to you when we first got this and just said it looks like Velder at a, fa- at a furry convention. Yeah. <laughs> They've really leaned into um, the feline nature of the cat folk, which seems like a strange sort of thing, but they've sort of said, you know, they are 
house cat like um, cat folk that is the visual style for cat folk now in Pathfinder uh, rather than being sort of more like tigers and lions and things like that there is a heritage for it so you get a few different got your clawed cat folk hunting cat folk and you've got a jungle cat folk heritage so if you want to play uh, a tiger person then you can so you can play a uh, that's that's all in there which i'm happy about because i'm in kingmaker i play a cat folk um champion or paladin uh, who is a lion so and you can do all of that stuff with it. I don't want to like dive too much into everyone's feats, but some of the feats sort of stuff that you'll get as a uh, as a cat folk. Cat's luck, very good. You can re-roll failed um, reflex saves, always good. I really like well-met traveler. You get bonuses to dipo- diplomacy. It just sounds it just sounds really like a Khajiit. Yeah. Uh, Nostrix saying, yeah, nine lives cat folk. Uh, if you find this, uh, this one of the heritages. So you're a cat folk with nine lives, uh, which means that if you get reduced to zero hit points by a crit, you're dying one instead of dying two, which is, it seems really situational, but getting dropped to zero by crits is one of those things that just straight up kills player characters. It's it's so dangerous. Uh, and so being able to take that off the thing because you've got nine lives, I think is just, I think that's just <laughs> lovely. I really like that. That's um, tremendous. And of course, you're going to have all the other stuff to give you claws and, and all those kind of things. And lots of stuff for sneaking and uh, things. And we, we've got another little cat folk rogue. They're fun. I like cat folk a lot. They were very popular. Should we talk about kobolds? Yes, let's talk about kobolds. Because actually, this came up a little bit in, uh, you know, sort of uh, recently. But uh, they've sort of changed, haven't they? They're physically, sort of how they've been represented has changed. And I like it. it it's a big change. It wasn't one of the art changes. that has been in since the start of second edition. It came in because they're on the cover of the uh, of the bestry, the first mm. bestry for uh, second edition. Uh, and they really made a sense that, A, they're really going to be linked to their dragon heritage. Mm-hmm. So whichever dragon they're descended from, that's the colour they're going to be. And you, you, that comes up as the in part of the ancestry. You know, you can really tailor yourself mm-hmm. to your dragon ancestry. So you'll be good colours. And you've got a real kind of big, that big wide shovel head. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, some people don't like it. Some people don't like change. I really like it. I think it's really distinctive. I, I, I like that they've got their own... Um, sort of thing well, uh, and they've um, yeah and they can be metallic heritages as well not just um, so you can have a, a a copper a copper cobalt rather than just a uh, you know a red and black um, yeah. and those sort of things because I think some I... of so some of the stuff I love about co- cobalts are cobalts are really popular they, they were one of the most popular ancestries when brought up for this and a big part of that comes through society play so if you've been somebody who's played Pathfinder Society you're going to be really familiar with the sewer dragons and with kobolds in general. They pop up in society play all the time. So loads of people have wanted to play them. Uh, and in fact, they've become society legal from today, I think, um, from the book coming out. You can now play a kobold in Pathfinder Society, uh, which if I didn't already have my paladin of Rasmia rolled up for um, Pathfinder Society over this weekend or for Gen Con Online, I would be making a kobold because... I really like them. <laughs> Some really nice stuff with them. <laughs> no, I really like I like the kobolds. I think they're cool. They're, they're so fun. And once you get into their feet, you're going to absolutely love them. We had a lot of fun playing with kobolds on our um, uh, Little Trouble in Big Absalom mm-hmm. special over the weekend, which is out. And, and 
seems to be really popular lots of people are enjoying that uh, and we got to play mm -hmm. a bit with that i don't think we played too much with the rules here but i think if you're actually going to play a cobalt and you want to really deep dive into their stuff you're going to find so much stuff that you will like right at level one some of the feats that you can take there's a feat called cringe which is a here, uh, yeah. so cringe is uh, if a it's a reaction if someone critically hits you what you do with that is you get to roll a uh, you get to roll against the, you basically get to look so pathetic that they get a penalty to their damage <laughs> because <laughs> they pull their blow because they're so pitiful of you. I, I have to say that pitter, pitiful posturing is probably one of the best expressions I've heard so far today. That's uh, that is that's that's delightful. It's great. And another one, Dragon's Presence, right? So Dragon's Presence is, because the whole thing of Kobolds is, they think they're, well, they, they are descended from dragons, and that's really important to them, right up until it gets dangerous. And then, oh no. Uh, so Dragon's Presence, it means it becomes, everything becomes all or nothing. So if you roll a saving throw against fear, if you get a success, it is automatically a critical success. If you get a fail, it is automatically a critical fail. There is no middle ground. You are either incredibly brave or incredibly cowardly. <laughs> Amazing. It's great. And the, like the cringe, it's an entire feat tree. It goes on, like, there's a grovel one, which become, which is like an, un, it's a ranged faint basically. So you can just start, get on your knees and start begging and it lowers people's AC. And then the, the rogue can jump out and stab them in the back. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. That's great. But, and all, all the traps. Um, I, yeah, I love them. I tell you what, it's uh, it's made them quite distinctive from goblins because I think that the I'd certainly in my mind there was always a bit of a, an odd crossover of like where do, where do goblins end and kobolds begin because they fit into that tiny rather rambunctious kind of crazy sort of races. Mm. And now I think they're really really distinctive. Like yeah. you definitely know a kobold from a goblin or from someone else. It's really good. Mm. Yeah, go, co goblins are kind of goblins are insane little monsters yeah. trying to jump around and, and bite you, and uh, and kobolds are like cringing minions uh, and really and quite smart and quite you know they've got loads of traps and there's loads of stuff that makes them feel really unique. So I, I think yeah they they've got their own vibe, which is really nice. Love the artwork as well. It's really fun. Well, speaking of artwork, the next one we'll talk about is the orc, which again, very popular. I was surprised to see the orc in here because we've already got half orcs. So, you know, I, I, I was surprised that this was one of them. Apparently, incredibly popular. And, and there is a whole subset of fandom that really, really love orcs. Um, well, I mean, you, you know, you look at the LARPing community and you, you, you see as, as many people dressed as orcs as you do dressed as paladins and knights and other things like that, so. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think sort of things like Warcraft and, uh, and Warhammer and stuff have done a lot for orc fandom. Um, and and for those people, a half orc perhaps is not enough. That's that's the they want the full experience, so they they end up being very popular. So they they've gone in. There is a note on the artwork here, which is is one of the. If I have a criticism of of the APG, it is slightly in some of the art here, um, and the orc is a good example of that. Some of the art in this is different kind of style to what we're used to in Pathfinder books. It's a more sketchy, more kind of, not quite watercolory, but more muted colors kind of thing. And it's, it reminds me a little bit of some of the, the fifth edition D&D art, which I'm not particularly a fan of. For me, Pathfinder is 
big, bold, bright colours, you know, big blocks of colour, things that really jump out of the page at mm. you, rather than this kind of slightly more washed out, slightly more maybe realistic kind of style, which feels like a kind of a... It, it reminds me of sort of some of the older role-playing books you used to get, sort of in the 90s role-playing books. Yeah, and it almost feels to me a little bit like a concept painting this one yeah. to be honest like something that you do quite briefly to show a film producer like this is kind of what we think the orc should look like not really something you want to publish um, yeah it, it doesn't it, it, it's weird it's jarring to me and there are a few the tengu is like this as well and there are a few others there's a few other bits of art in this um that aren't the sort of the wayne reynolds-esque um style which i which i really like and i was hoping i think for the orc i was hoping because i'm i'm a warcraft fan as well and i played orcs a lot in it so i was hoping for you know big blocky chunky really big uh, and solid and something that looked really different to a half orc and i i feel that these are i don't know i, I feel like i want my orcs to be a bit bigger these are very tolkien orcs these are very lord of the ringsy mm-hmm. um which is you know fine your orc is pretty straight up if you want to make a good fighter if you want to make a, uh, if you want to make a good combat character your orc's going to give you uh, plenty of stuff for that and if you want a character with really good survivability it's quite good so you can build a caster with your orcs but you're uh, and you're going to have a lot more survivability with it. But it's kind of there. Like I say, it doesn't do much for me. But maybe I think that a lot of that is the artwork, and it's quite focused. The hobgoblin was quite similar for me as well. You know, very very focused kind of ancestry feats. Uh, and I'm like, oh, I can't can't quite work out what I want to do with that. It's it's just not my kind of character. Uh, yeah, Holdsguard definitely. We just had uh, yeah Nostrix saying about the the Holdsguard orc. Uh, very, very orky names as well. The Badlands Orc, the Deep yeah. Orc. Uh, you know, it's like, that's pretty good. I do quite like the second picture of the Orc. I've sort of d- dwelled on him, mm. the Archer. He's a bit more... Um, although, no tusks. Yes, yeah, yeah, no. Uh, I think that is a feat. I think you can get tusks as a... Yeah, tusks is a level one feat where you what? get an unarmed attack. What? Uh, but everyone, is... they should all have the tusks, yeah, surely. They... I mean, that's that's the Orc. That's one of the defining features, that and, you know... Yeah, Big. I want if ever there's a if ever there's an ancestry you could build out of polygons, the orc is the one I want for you know, I want orcs to be big, blocky, chunky guys. Yeah, yeah, we've got we've got a lot of love for orcs going on in the chat. Yeah, it's, uh, people, you know, they're a popular they're popular. Uh, and, and and mechanically, if you want to build an orc, there's everything you want there. You know, you've got your survivability, you're gonna have your your you're hard to kill, you've got loads of hit points. If you want to do that then but you're not automatically dumb as well that's the other nice thing you know orcs have really been rewritten a lot in in, especially in second edition it started in first edition but there's a lot of they're not a one note ancestry anymore they've got a really complex culture to them and and that comes across in 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 the build Mm -hmm. Uh, the fact that there's an orc law uh, ability which is nice but i want to get on to the next ancestry which is one of my favorite ones yeah I mean, who doesn't love rap folk? Look at that guy. Oh, oh my, God. my God. He's a toy maker. Like, right. what? You want to speak of bold colours and you want to speak of sort of stuff that jumps off the page. The rap folk is exactly that. So the very first rap folk that you get in here, he's this little guy tinkering with toys. He's got pouches and belts and things all over him and little toolboxes. It's, it's just delightful. One of the things that has um, been brought in for the rat folk in second edition is they're being brought a little bit more in line with Starfinder. So they're now referred to as Yosoki. 
So Yosoki is the term for rat folk in Starfinder. Now that is the term for rat folk in Pathfinder. And it's what they call themselves. So like the Troglodytes will call themselves the Zolgath. They have a word for themselves. Um, the lizard folk are the Uruxi. The rat folk are the Yosoki. That's their, that's their term. In terms of stuff that they can do, they're, they're very good tinkers. What are sort of things they can talk? Oh yeah, they can talk to rats. They can later turn into rats. Wow. Nostrix is pointing out Yusoki rhymes with Aruxi, so we can do another round of the Aruxi sea shanty sometime. Excellent, good, good. Uh, looking forward to that. You will be pleased to know any Starfinder players that cheek pouches are back, so they can store things in their cheek pouches. In fact, there is a whole feet tree that allows you to store more things in your cheek pouches and to just shovel things into your uh, cheek pouch. But there is a note to say that basically while you have uh, items stored in your cheeks, uh, your speech is noticeably like difficult to understand because you have a mouthful of just stuff, of potions and things. <laughs> oh, I love it. Just, I think it's and just you, one... And you can empty your mouth with a single action, so you just go... Let's <laughs> <laughs> literally just spit it all out. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just like... Yeah, ninth level, big mouth. You can just have... You just have bigger... You, you can sort to one bulk's worth of items. You could have, like... You could just have loads of stuff in. Towards the end uh, of the uh, Rat Folk what, one, what one I, of our favourite ones, one of your favourite bits of art, I think, James. Look at the, that. She looks splendid. <laughs> How magnificent. A Victorian-esque uh, sort of lady rat. Um, absolutely brilliant. That's just got to be... Uh, I, I just, it's just wonderful. I just, it, it, that's what I want from an answer. That's what I want from a book like this, from anything that is player-focused. I want art that is going to make me immediately want to play that character. Yes. Um, you know, and that just makes me just a Jane Austen kind of rat folk. And it, it's the fact the rat, the, the, the dress is really tattered. So she like, she's found this dress in the trash somewhere and is styling it out. It's just, oh, it's lovely. Love it. Love it. Right. What? All right, mate. What? If we talk about a group that are not birds, it's the Tengu. Yeah, they're definitely not birds. Uh, and they're definitely not drawn as well. What is that first Tengu all about? His uh, feet are a bit weird, aren't they? What's up to his feet? Yeah. Yeah, what's happened to his feet? Is he Was he standing on something, do you think? And then they've kind of cut off the picture or yeah i have some issues with the art for the tengu i like what they've done with the beaks i like the big curved beak but if you like even if you look at the other tank because you get two bits of art for every everyone you get another tengu a bit later on um in a dress with a uh, who's looking at some things and it's, I mean, it's which is a great pose yeah much better but uh, even then it's a it's a different kind of style and it's that sort of not not my not my favorite kind of art but no it's more impressionistic, like you said earlier. It's rather than a good old sort of physical. And I think that impressionistic's fine, but if you're, as you said, I think the key part of this artwork is to want to make you play these characters, this this race. And I think for me, certainly, you want something bold and like, you know, the rat folk were great. They just leapt off the page at you. Like you say, you're like, I want to play that little, I want to be a little rat who makes like, you know, weird bombs or something. Whereas the Tengu, that's just weird. Yeah, there are some interesting bits in it. Reading the some of the lore for Tengu, yes, the thing that really jumps out at me is how much Colin got right with Bubba, because we homebrewed Bubba, because um, he was a Tengu in first edition, and then we moved to second edition, and and he's guessed at a lot of stuff to try and get him right, uh, and there's so many bits that are really specific to Bubba that actually have ended up being in lore, like the fact that he's 
He's 13, so he's young for a Tengu. Mm -hmm. Well, Tengu reach adulthood at 15. He's talking about how um, Bubba has grey feathers. And that's actually in here. Young Tengu have grey feathers. They turn much darker when they reach about 15 years old. Mm. So he, he looks right. Uh, and the in terms of the feet, so we gave him his friendly claws, which were... You know, they were basically claws. a claws ability. Uh, well, it's, it's, Stu's already referenced the friendly claws. I mean, uh, well done to Colin and yourself for, for nailing that kind of characterization. And like I said, because we, we really had these discussions... Oh, flipping ages ago, and and you know, thrashed out his characters, um, you know, and 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 uh, well done, you guys nailed it. I think he has almost everything. He's got yeah, he's got his low light vision. He's got his. I can't remember if we maybe gave him dark. But no, I don't think he has. I don't think he has got dark vision. I think he's, he's yeah, definitely got a sharp beak. Uh, Talentengu, so we can put that in there. We're going to have a look through Bubba, and we're basically if if there's anything Colin wants to change based on the stuff that's come in, then we can do that. And as we get into as we go on with it, we'll, we'll start picking Tengu feats for him rather than before he was taking human feats um, and just balancing it. Yeah, but I mean, well, yeah, because I, I don't know if that was in relation to Stu's um, question that just came through about will he be tweaking Bubba to match the new races or the bits that weren't completely right. I mean, certainly with the feats, you could probably go through and actually maybe give him some of those because there's some pretty interesting ones in here. I like Squawk! Um, oh, squawks are amazing. <laughs> That's great. You let out an awkward squawk, ruffle your feathers, or fake some other bird-like tick to cover up a social misstep or faux pas. <laughs> it, it's great. So, so it's basically... I'm if just you, a if, bird. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, if you crit fail, a, a deception, diplomacy, or intimidate check. So normally, if you, you know, critically failing one of those checks can be really bad. It means the person realises the thing you're trying to do, or it's a, you know it blows the whole situation up whereas failure just tends to be you don't get the thing you want but nothing happens so you literally if you do it you just squawk and the person's like ah oh, it's just a bird yeah it just lets it go <laughs> I, I, Amazing. I, it's just wonderful um there's a lot of stuff about you see sort of jinx eater being referred to here and this is if you like your chinese mythology um mythology about um birds and, and crows sort of eating bad luck there's a lot of stuff in there. And there's, that's always been kind of a, a flavour thing with Tengu. There's always been a thing in Galarian that most ships will always try and have a Tengu on the crew because it's said that Tengu eat bad luck. That's why you sort of often see them as pirates. So you're, um, right. you know, it's supposed to be lucky to have one on there. But that's literally a thing you can do on there. So you can really mess with fortune and misfortune spells, and you can flip them around and change them. And, you know, I'll be totally honest, I don't understand in, enough about those kind of spells and how that works to know how you would use that mechanically but it strikes me as being something that could be really powerful if you if you understand how this works the idea that you could just start manipulating luck mm -hmm. does sound really fun uh, and they can kind of fly later on if you want to so uh, oh and they can turn into a giant at high levels they can turn into a giant monster crow of course giant tengu form crow so, magnon um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, terrible guy. Some fun thing. Yeah, that second, we... that second crow looks. Ooh, I'm not sure I like any of the te mm. like tangle art, to be honest. that It looks a bit more like a whale or some sort yeah. of like an orca or something like that. Anyway, um, I think it looks like a walnut whip. A walnut whip. <laughs> uh, classic. Uh, so now we're going to go on to versatile heritages. As, as, okay. And there's a yes. bold bit of art. Is that a satyr, do you think? Is that, that, is, that is a tiefling showing a bit of leg. Oh, a tiefling showing a bit of leg, of course. So of course. The ever-popular tieflings. So when uh, Paizo did their survey of them, 
it probably will not surprise anyone to know that the ones who the ancestries that were the top ones in that were tiefling and asimar they were the most popular heritages that people wanted to see early mm. on they really they really wanted that and that's you know that's understandable so what we're doing in here is we're getting a few versatile heritages and we're getting a proper explanation finally of how versatile heritages are supposed to work when the core book came out a big thing that was said in there was that you know that's why half orcs and half elves were a human heritage they're a heritage not an ancestry in themselves so you take a human and then you put that on them and you you get extra stuff for it and it was always said the idea of this is that you don't just have to be half human half something else we want these heritages to be part of everything so you could be a half goblin half tiefling you know or mix of of these sorts of things and with mm -hmm. the versatile heritage we, we finally get that so now if you want to play a versatile heritage you pick any ancestry subject to gm approval because you know leshies and shuni yeah but you can be a shuni vampire it's in there but talk to your gm so you pick any ancestry you take the base stuff for that and then you apply the heritage rather than picking a heritage you apply the versatile heritage on top of that and that gives you access to all the new feats uh, and extra stuff so that is how you make a tiefling so if you uh, or a, an asimar or a dusk walker if you want any of those you want to be a half dwarf you know a dwarf asimar you can do that now we've got all of the rules for doing that uh, and along with it we get a bunch of um we get a bunch of versatile heritages as well so we get the changeling are they the children of hags they're the, they're like the children of hags yeah and i was just right. um i was just remarking that I, I the most remarkable little statement i've heard that sounds like some sort of ancient scottish poetry but is the line and slag made for an anise hag uh, <laughs> right at the end of there uh, where it's describing what kind of hags uh, that they they that they get turned into yeah. Um, but uh, interesting, interesting bit of lore. They get called back by the hag mothers. The one that excites me a little more is the Dampier. Dampier. Yeah. The Dampier is Blade. This is your half, uh, half vampire. So you are the child of a vampire and a mortal race. Uh, and you can apply it to anything. So as Nostrix is saying, yep, Dampier Leshy. You can make Audrey 2 from um, Little Shop of Horrors if you want to do that. Mm -hmm. You can have a vampiric plant. You've got your fangs. But you've also got stuff like you've got feats for fighting undead. So if you want to make blade, oh, it's all there. Yeah, you can you can make your daywalker. I, I made a daywalker build Inquisitor in um, first edition for when we went to Pisacon UK last time. Made the whole thing, and then realised that you know, they're not legal for society play from level one. You have to unlock them. So just had to put him in the bin <laughs> and make a gunslinger instead. Yeah. Uh, um, well, it's just one of those things where it's like I can make blade from level one. No, you can't. Nope. No, 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 no. That's for the cool kids. Then you've got your three planner scions. So you've got your you got your Asimar, which are the which are half celestial. Um, you've played an Asimar in something else before haven't you i have played an asimar yes uh there was an asimar uh he, he wasn't he was a, a cleric cleric oh cool. yes 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 that, um, was, uh, that was an asimar cleric it's interesting i'd like to see what they were a bit flat in my opinion really there wasn't much to do with them it's like great you're you're sort of semi-celestial but you know, your eyes yeah. glow a bit and it's like oh. cool <laughs> yeah uh, never, I, i've always found them to be you know the bit of extra fluff that you put on top of a paladin. Yeah. If you want to make your ultimate paladin, sure, give them a halo, fine. Yeah. Um, I, you know, they've never massively appealed to me, but then neither have tieflings. So I'm, you know, and I'm definitely in the major the minority on that because people love tieflings. 
So you can, so yeah, if you want to be, you want to be an SMR, you've got that all there. You get some angelic magic. You get, you do get more interesting stuff. It's not just. It yeah. used to just be a slightly better human. Like you do get some, you do get some fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, and and obviously it's a it's a tricky crossover to make, I think, because with the demons, there's always been a, a whole panoply of like you know pan to you know arch demons and fiends and this and that something else. Whereas with angels, if you're an angel, you're kind of you're either the archangel Gabriel or you're not so yeah. i can see why they've struggled with that really we don't have any they don't have any sort of folklore uh, archetypes to call on that are popular in, mm. in sort of the mindset you know you don't you don't find angels just flitting about the the woods <laughs> they're they're the host of heaven um the the nice thing you get with tieflings is you get a bit more um control over how dare you steward <laughs> as Mara Bell's um, relevant as Sylphs then I mean, to, to be fair Sylphs have some lovely little role play things you could go with them I love the fact that they have little gusts of wind wherever they go if you if you play wind sort of Sylph yeah. things like that but it's all it's all really role play flavour rather than actual it, things it's, um, except for Windy Escape oh Windy Escape was good and I, I think that will come back because the um, the Sylph because Sylphs are in the Bestry 2 as a monster and they have a version of Windy Escape yeah. in that so I think that will come back, and and we know that Sylph, they're going to be called Genie Kin, I think, uh, the Elemental Kin. Uh, they're coming in the Advanced Ancestry Guide, which is next year. They're called Genie Kin. So, yeah, so that you will get, we'll get some proper Sylph rules, but that that's like a year away. I don't have um, to call him a Genie Kin, do I? Because that no, you don't that, have to call him good, a Genie Kin. Good, good, because that that sounds like something from Mattel. Oh, I, I like the idea you've got a Genie Uncle somewhere. Don't, it means I get to do a Robin Williams impression. <laughs> true, true. I would quickly do the Tieflings, then we'll skip back to the Duskwalkers because I really like them. Tieflings, it gives you a little bit more control over the kind of um, the kind of demon that you're descended from. So, do you want to be? Uh, do you want a, a devil ancestry? Do you want a, a fiend ancestry? Uh, and you can really pick the kind of things like, oh, okay, I'm going to have a tail, uh, and I get some stuff, or I'm going to have hooves, and I get some stuff for that. So you can really, really make them varied and really change stuff up. I feel like Scott will like this very much. You know, there's a lot of customization that you can do with. Um, you can do with I, this. I've got to say, I've, I've always in, I like tieflings. Um, always been a fond of satyrs and uh, you know all, all kinds of that kind of because it's just an interesting, you know, um, it's one of those classes that's kind of like oh you're a bit sort of on the edges. You can imagine the kids who didn't really fit in kind of liking tieflings because you know you're pretty much normal but people don't like you because you got horns. But apart from that, yeah. you're just you're just a regular guy but you got horns and you know that's it's uh, it is cool. Uh, or someone with hoofed feet but just for always wearing long skirts so no one actually knows that they're a tiefling and. Yeah, so they wear wooden shoes. They are fun, and I think you know if if you like tieflings, you get, there's a lot to like in there. There's a, yeah. you know you're going to be very happy with this. The one I want to shout at is Dusk Walker, which was something that nobody asked for because nobody knew it existed, and it's been sort of snuck in with the other planar scions. So a Dusk Walker is is the Phrasma version of these. It's someone who's connected to the Boneyard to death, and, and the the idea of it is that it, the Dusk Walkers come about due to a, a philosophical debate between psychopomps who are the people who shepherd death basically they control whether death comes and goes uh, you know when people are meant to die and, and things like this we talked a little bit about them in our bestry 2 review where there's there are some psychopomps who like track down people who get resurrected too many times and are like no 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 your time's up come on you know what which a, are really a, fun what but a the, name psychopomps it sort of sounds like a sort of early early sort of 18th century kind of expression um, mm. You know, for some sort of um, it must come quack. from something like that. I, 
I don't know the origin of it, but it's a wonderful word. But a, a, a dusk walker comes from this philosophical debate between psychopomps where there are some that believe that there are some mortals out there who do excellent work in maintaining the balance between life and death. Maybe they hunt down undead. Maybe they, you know, they help people pass when it's their time. Or they, they do good work. And sometimes those people get taken before their time and they get killed. So the debate is, is it better to allow that person to be returned to life so they can carry on doing their good work? Or is it, no, we have to apply the same rules to them and it's their time and they should die? Uh, and so the solution right. to this are the dusk walkers which are basically when one of these people dies every now and then they are returned to the world as a dusk walker as somebody who is sent back to basically help maintain the balance between life and death um, but the the caveat is there are only so many of them allowed in the world at a time it's one in one out so until one actually dies again the psychopomps aren't allowed to create another one so there's somebody who has been dead and has been brought back for a specific purpose. And, and I think that's I think that's really nice, you know, and there's lots of stuff to do with dealing with spirits, to do with dealing with undead. I just they're very flavorful and they're very, you know, they feel very, very unique. Uh, and I like that. Mm. They're not just a, a copy of something that's in, in, you know, lots of other games. Cool name as well. It's really funny. Duskwalker. I feel like that's going to be really popular just for the name. Yeah. Let's rattle through, because we've been doing lots of... We've got to talk, still got yes. to talk about classes. Let's, let's rattle through the bonus. So all of the existing ancestries, they're going to get loads of extra stuff as well. So you can find loads of extra feats for all of them. That is quite the outfit on the Dampier, I have to say. Uh, the Dampier is great through. Lovely sort of a bottle green. It's great, isn't it? Um, there's some nice stuff in there's some nice stuff in the elf ancestry feats. If you like elves, have a look in there. Um, el ancestral linguistics is quite good. It allows you, as part of your daily preparations, to basically remember a language. Uh, and they're really leaning into this idea that elves have lived many lives because it's one of the things one of the silly things that there's always been in in role playing games is the thing of like elves are. 200 years old so how come they're still a level one character why have they learned nothing in that time are they just idiots for the rest of it <laughs> uh, and they're, you know they're leaning into this idea that no no elves are, they've lived they've done all this stuff but they've just forgotten it because they haven't done it for ages and so i like this idea that you know maybe at some point like shania was a was a level eight druid in the time between the story we're telling on the main show at the moment and the the main show itself uh, you know uh, maybe in those 200 years she reached like level eight and in that time she's just become a hermit and she's just forgotten it all again and it's just kind of slipped and it you know as somebody who went back to the gym after four months away uh, this week and tried to do exactly the same workout i did before i can tell you you do forget stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, that's why I'm walking like C-3PO at the moment. That sort of stuff does disappear. So I like this idea that, oh, yeah, I used to speak Goblin, but I, I haven't done it for a 100 years, so I've, I've forgotten it all. Hang on. But if I spend the morning thinking, maybe I can remember some of it. And, of, and of course, you've got the, the fact that if you, you, know, you spoke Goblin 200 years ago, uh, Goblin, you know, as everything does, would change. So, you know, yeah. imagine if somebody started speaking 18th century English to you, you'd be like, what? are you all right there, mate? Uh, do you want to do you want to put that in a bit more in English? I'd be like, oh, sorry, is that not how goblins speak anymore? I thought that mm. was, you know. <laughs> it's lovely. And it makes a lot more sense having played Thousand Year Old Vampire, um, which which has that mechanic as well. Other stuff. Gnomes have got Empathic Plea, which having talked about the groveling mechanics for kobolds, 
this is very similar. You make a diplomacy check against somebody who you have yet to make any kind of hostile actions to. Yes. To make puppy dog eyes at them. As, as not, and if you, oh, as Nostrich says yeah. in the chat, I am so cute, I don't need a shield. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Like, you literally, if you critically succeed, they basically can't attack you. They have to just be like, aww. And even if you like, even if you just succeed, they can attack you, but they do less damage because they're just like, oh, it's, it's so cute. I can't do it. <laughs> Which is just hilarious for a, like for a full support character. If you could just be like doing this and then quietly just healing your allies, I that that's the first thing that's made me really want to play a gnome. Uh, you know that just jumps out at me. And they've got a feat called Razzle Dazzle, which isn't amazing, but it's I love that there's an ability called Razzle Dazzle. <laughs> Goblins, you're gonna get loads of weird stuff that lets you. Um, you get extra singing. You can become squishy. There's lots of other fun stuff with the ancestries. You'll, there's plenty of there's just extra options here. Common backgrounds. So if you want to have some more backgrounds, what the common ones do is they fill out a lot of other backgrounds that people have been wanting for their characters. So if you want to be an ex-bandit, great, you can be a bandit now. Um, what have they got? Barbers, cultist is probably one that's been. Um, Insurgent Quite popular. Has, has caught my eye, um, where you're an ex sort yeah. of freedom fighter and uh, you can make up whatever cause it was and whether it succeeded or didn't or you just got sort of, you know, cynical with it all, that's uh, that's a cool start. Mm. I think Squire is a good one. Squire is going to be a popular one for if you want to play a champion. There'll be a lot of stuff in there for that. Then we've got the rare backgrounds. Rare backgrounds are ones that you can use with GM approval. And what they are is they're kind of like self-contained little plot bundles for your character. So you've got stuff like the Amnesiac. Amnesiac's really fun because you, you get two ability boosts that are free boosts that you get to choose. And then one is chosen by the GM, and that is a, like, and it's supposed to be a hint as to what your actual former life was. Lots of fun stuff in there. The, the other one is the one that has the artwork on that wonderful artwork of a woman with a sword I, climbing down. I paused for quite a long time on that while you were talking about uh, other things. It's, 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 a, it's a fantastic picture. That's to do with the royalty background, where you can literally be a princess who sneaks out at night to go adventuring. Which, yes. Great. <laughs> I just, I love that. Yeah. I want that. Um, and when you, we get into the, uh, the vigilante archetype, then all sorts of stuff will come up from that. So, shall we talk about classes? Uh, yes. Uh, having having spent nearly an hour going through the ancestries. Yes, we, we, and, and just, we won't be able to go through all of this book. It is 274 pages of goodness. I know. Uh, this is more to give you an impression and to, to make you want to go and get it yourself. Because I think, <laughs> and, it, and like you said at the beginning, I didn't jump in because obviously we had a bit of a delay at the beginning. But, uh, you know, this is a book that you wouldn't necessarily read cover to cover, but you would definitely, this is a great resource to dip into and, to, you know, if you're making characters for other people or looking for your own character and stuff like that, it's fantastic. It's loads of good ideas. It, it, it's, it's one of those, and, and one thing we should also say, I should have said this at the start, from, from today, I can't believe they managed to get it done in time, but um, all this book is now currently on Hero Lab, and it's on Archives of Nethys. So you can go and you can go onto Archives of Nethys now and read all of these rules for free. So you can start making characters from today if you want mm -hmm. to, which is amazing that they got it done day and date. That's that's really good. Yeah. Let's do the classes then. So there's one thing and I I went back and forth on whether this is a criticism of the book or not, but it is an important thing to understand about this book. And if you're a if you're somebody who loves Pathfinder, then 
with all of its eccentricities and complexities, then this will not be a problem for you. But if you're somebody who is a more casual player, this may be intimidating for you. And you need to understand that this is an advanced player's guide. So these character classes that you're gonna, we're gonna be talking about here, they have mechanics that take a little bit of getting used to. And if you wanna put your time into understanding that class, you're gonna get a lot from it and you're gonna really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. But if you're somebody who is who is like, I wouldn't recommend any of these four classes as your first character. Right. Uh, they need a bit of getting used to, and they have a lot of extra abilities. I built a swash. I built a cat folk squash buckler. That's a mouthful. Squash buckler. <laughs> a cat folk swash buckler. Uh, just as a little test, as soon as the book arrived from Paizo last week, and the starting abilities don't all fit onto the standard character sheet. You know, the standard character sheet that says this is what you get at level one, this is what you get at level two. Yeah. You get more at level one than will fit onto that sheet. Wow. So it may require some specialised character sheets for some of these these things. I mean, because it's the, all... the Pathfinder character sheets are weighty tome in itself anyway. If you have the full thing, it's eight pages, I think, isn't it? I mean, you yeah, can that's cut... the campaign sheet. Yeah, you can but, cut bits um... out of it and stuff like that. But, you know, if you want the full effect... It's big. But you've got a lot of abilities in here, so you know, be prepared to do some work to understand your class if you want to get the most out of this. The good news is I think they are all worth it if you put your time into it. I think they've all got stuff in there that is is really interesting. And of course, because this book has to be a big book, you've then got loads of class bonuses for all of the other classes as well, which we'll rattle through. Right. Investigator. We'll go straight in with, with the top roll. The Investigator is my favourite one of these uh, of these four, which I did not expect because I just didn't care about the Investigator. A very, a very in, tanned um, Sean Connery. It, does, it is like a sort of Sean Connery, actually. He's got a bit of a Sean Connery yeah, vibe, hasn't yeah. he? The Investigator was put in there because they straight away... The Oracle and the Witch went in straight away because they were really popular. Then they wanted a skill class. The Investigator is in first edition one of the biggest skill classes that you have so that went in and then they wanted a combat class so the swashbuckler went in i think someone said a while ago our gunslingers in here and it seemed unusual that gunslingers didn't make it given that they're a very you know they're a very pathfinder focused thing they're one of the i think one of the things that makes pathfinder really stand out is the fact that you can have a person with a, with firearms in it the the reason for it was basically that a gunslinger comes with its own mechanics. It comes with introducing firearms and rules for firearms into second edition, which is quite a bit of stuff. And if there's one thing that we've really noticed about this book is it is a big book. It is jam-packed and there just wasn't space to add an entire chapter on how firearms work. So gunslingers don't make it in this one. Yeah. They'll be there at some point when there's the space to have the rules for them. I think it is very likely that they will be an archetype for um there'll be an archetype so you'll be able to put it onto another class and you can have a you know a paladin with a gun or something like that um <laughs> he's a paladin with a so gun so it's gonna be good so what the big stuff about the investigator the investigators are all about following up leads and following up clues so you're gonna get one of your key abilities is called pursue a lead which means you find it's a bit like hunt prey but it applies to circumstances and stuff so maybe you find like a blood stain on a ground you can then make that one of your lines of investigation and you can you basically focus onto that and then you're going to get bonuses to any roles you make to follow up that investigation and you can have different threads active at a time so you can have like three different investigations running Ooh. at once it could be something like the like when you found 
the body in the bottom of the snake pit in, in uh, the Temple of Razmir, mm -hmm. you find that, that ring. An investigator would be like, that is going to become my lead. And then they're getting bonuses all the time to try and unravel who this person was and what happened to them. And any time the GM knows they're making a check that's to do with that, they're going to give them bonuses to it, which I, I, think's really, I think that's really fun. That's really cool. The other thing which makes them, which is just an amazing uh, ability, which I really love, is called Devise a Stratagem. Uh, and this was because they wanted to make the investigator fight like like Robert Downey Jr. does in the Sherlock Holmes movies, where he envisions the whole fight before it happens and then does it. So Devise a Stratagem allows you to basically make your attack roll, uh, and you can use your intelligence mod, I think. Um, so you, make your, you can make your attack roll, but you're making it in your head. So you get to roll the attack, see what the result is, and then decide whether you want to make the attack or not, or whether you want to do something else instead. So if you've rolled a natural one, you can be like, well, if I do that, I'm, I'm going to get a fumble. So I just don't attack this round, and I'm going to spend this round doing skill checks or drinking a potion or casting skip, uh, doing a quick spell or something like that. Wow. Um, whereas if it's natural 20, you can be like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to, all right, I do that. And, and if that attack then hits, you get to stack a load of other bonuses and pile a load of other feats and things onto it. Isn't that, that just, that's just lovely, isn't it? It is lovely. I mean, it's, oh, that, that's very, very powerful uh, as a, as a thing. Like, you know, I, I'm not saying it's, because obviously, you know, you, you wouldn't, if you're just rolling terribly, it's not going to give you natural 20s, but uh, it's very time efficient. It is. It does take an action. So you, it means your attacks effectively take two actions, but it means, but just having that ability to just be able to, to take that, thing out of it i i just think that's really lovely mm. i think that's um to be able to decide whether you're gonna and it and it i like that it sets you up so if you know if you roll really, really low it completely changes your turn so in your head you're always thinking okay what are my two options if i know that i'm going to be good at attacking this turn then i i just do that mm. but what would i do tactically if i know that i'm not going to be able to be good at hitting people you know what should i think of so it's going to make you think of different things in terms of subclasses you've got an alchemy one so you've got your methodolo methodology so this is the sort of thing that you're going to so you can have alchemy because there were good alchemists in the first one empiricism which is all about dealing with stats and data you have forensic medicine which i like so you can build a coroner which i think is great <laughs> fun and you have interrogation uh, and interrogation is quite f interrogation gives you a pointed question which is like your columbo ability so you can um you while you're talking to somebody you can make a diplomacy check against their will dc and if you roll high on it it forces them to just blurt out a piece of information <laughs> i think that's really lovely isn't it's it really and it's like so they they have to answer your question and you can just trip people up with it all these sorts of mechanics uh, they're just uh, they're just really fun and then they get tons of skills they get tons of bonuses let's move on from them because they're you know i i love them and i want to play them there's also a wonderful piece of art uh, of the uh, the investigator holding up some kind of purple tongued monster by his sword cane with just this wonderful look <laughs> of see <laughs> uh, it's quite quite the swashbuckling sort of investigator there it's great, isn't it? And there's like there's stuff in it that sort of says that you know the GM has to point out when you enter a room if you've spotted something useful, which is nice. Um, I love the coroner artwork, the rat with his uh, his medicine bag. Oh, I just think they're great. Oh, I think they're really fun. That's tremendous. Let's do the oracle straight away. You're going to see we've got a new iconic, a new iconic oracle. It's a Tengu, 
it looks way better than all way of the other Tengus. better than all the other Tengus. Look how cool he looks. Or she. That's because this is this is Wayne Reynolds, who's the lead artist for who. When you see Pathfinder stuff and all the iconics, he does a lot of design on them. He's great for this stuff. He's really good for detail because he's a real nerd about medieval weaponry and equipment. He loves kit, which for a game about amassing stuff effectively, which is what role-playing games are, you know, that is a great skill to have. Mm. So he's really good at having all the extra bits and bobs. So the Oracle is you're you're tied into a, a, a mystical force. You're a you cast spells, but the thing is that you have a curse, basically. You just have this power that is channeled into you, which makes you powerful, but the more you draw on it, the more disadvantage you get. It seems kind of complicated, and it takes a bit of getting used to, but once you start playing it, you'll like it. It was one of the most popular classes in first edition. Right. But ever so slightly, it was it was also quite popular because it was a very good class to take a dip into. There were a lot of builds where you just take one level of Oracle and then you never touch it again because it gives you a load of stuff. Right. And so this is all about trying to make it feel unique and really exciting in itself and on its own. So the way your um, the way your curse works is you take a particular you pick a mystery. So the mysteries are things like ancestors, battle, bones, cosmos, flames life, law, and tempest. And that maybe gives you an idea of what some of them give you. They will give you special abilities and they'll give you very powerful focus spells that you can cast to do with those sort of things. So law will be about learning information. Flames will be about setting everything on fire. But as you use that, it starts to trigger your curse. Things start to happen which, and they don't always disadvantage you, but they really focus you on a particular thing. I'll give you an example, things like the ancestors. So you've got voices in your head from past ancestors that give you information and they tell you things to do. Uh, and so they, you know, they give you hints and they make you better at certain stuff. The more you use that, though, the more one particular ancestor will start to take a, uh, an interest. And it will, you roll randomly to see who it is. So it might be your ancestor was a fighter, was a great warrior. And so that ancestor, as the curse gets better, got, starts getting stronger that ancestor will start giving you bonuses to your combat abilities mm. which is great if you want to fight in combat but you might be like no 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 we we really need to solve this real i need skills right now you know we're trying to unlock this door and the um but your ancestor is just there in your head constantly being like no fight this person and so you're getting penalties to all of your other stuff because the ancestor's trying to push you in a particular way it's really cool it's great or you might get things like you know your vision starts to go with the flames um the battle one is great the battle one gives you makes you much stronger in combat but then starts applying loads of penalties which are alleviated if you make a strike action so if you hit someone all of the curses, disbenefits go away. But when you're not fighting people, you start to just be really a bit rubbish, um, which is just a, a great alternative barbarian build, I think. Yeah. And so many other things. So there are kind of, if you want to sort of spell casty, there's so many different builds with it. You know, you can make them blastery, you can make them into fighters. There's, there's a lot you can do with them. There's a load of unpacking to do. That's the vibe of the uh, of the Oracle. Next one is the Swashbuckler which I know you will be excited about because you have played a swashbuckler in the past, haven't you? You're in the first I edition. have played a swashbuckler, yes. Uh, they're great fun. Great fun class. Uh, kind of roguey, but a little bit more sort of, uh, yeah, just an interesting take on it. That's certainly what they used to be. What would you have changed about the first edition swashbuckler 
what what would you change about them? Um, well, it was interesting. There, there was a lot of paths you could take to to customize the swashbuckler, but there was also a lot of missteps you could take. So if you took a feat in this, well, then that's that's ruined that, and you know you can't do this, you can't do that, and it would have been quite nice to have a few maybe clearer paths, a little bit more of a sort of you know defined way about them. I'm not sure. Mm. I mean, I really like Blacklock, but I, he was just a standard swashbuckler like there was and but there were so many we could be like blade wind and this and that and all all kinds of different mix and matches the big criticism of swashbucklers in first edition is that although they've got you all these tools to say you know you can swing on chandeliers and you can do lots of cool stuff ultimately the best thing you can do as a swashbuckler is walk up to the most powerful thing in the room and stand absolutely still and constantly parry and attack, constantly parry and repost, yes. and just deal insane single target damage to it until it's dead. And if you're swinging around on ropes and things, it's not really the best way to play. No. That that was the kind of the criticism. So this is about trying to find ways to encourage you to play in different ways and to embrace that swashbuckling ethos rather than just being this sort of mirror that does damage. Uh, and so they've they've added in a whole load of other stuff. The first thing that's really changed is panache. In first edition, panache is just a resource. It's just a pool of points that you have and you spend them to do abilities. In second edition, panache is a state. Panache is a state of being. Hmm. You either have panache or you don't have panache. If you have panache, all of your panache abilities are available to you uh, and the powerful ones will cause you to drop out to lose panache. So as a swashbuckler, you are constantly trying to gain panache once you're in that state, you then want to do your big attack that will let you uh, do that. And the way you gain panache is by doing particularly daring things. So it's about tumble. The standard way is like if you tumble past somebody successfully without triggering an attack of opportunity, you're going to gain panache. Mm. So straight away, you're always trying to provoke attacks of opportunity so that you can dodge them because you'll get it. But then based on the um, the style that you choose you're going to gain all sorts of other ways of doing it. So you might be a uh, you might be a battle dancer where you're trying to duck and dive around. You might be a braggart where you're trying to uh, a bit like with the uh, what were they called the um, the firebrands where you're trying to show off all the time and uh, trying to intimidate people. A fencer where you're trying to parry. Gymnast where you're jumping around. And my favorite one, the wit, which is the Monkey Island build. So all of your abilities are based around you insulting people mm -hmm. <laughs> and coming up with clever ways of putting them down. Uh, and you gain an ability when you're the wit, and you feat, which is later on called Bon Mo, which is you make a scathing insult uh, against your opponent where you make a roll against their, uh, against their DC. Uh, and basically you try to insult them, and if you successfully insult them, then they take penalties. And the way they get around that, they can either sit out the duration of of this of feeling shit because you've uh, insulted them or they can try and get rid of it themselves by spending an action to insult you back <laughs> they get to roll a uh, an i know you are but what am i kind of check against it and if they succeed then they shrug off the insult i am rubber you are glue <laughs> i know it's, it's just great isn't it it is literally monkey island uh, but like as an example of that every time you successfully use that ability to insult your opponent you enter panache um, so suddenly all of your powerful abilities are involved because you've insulted someone. Yeah. That's where you get to use your... So you get bonuses to your damage and everything like that. So very different kind of things. I should say the parry and riposte. Parry and riposte is there, but it is... Like, you're no longer going to be simply parrying 
the dragon's jaws every turn and doing loads of damage back to it. Instead, the riposte works. You get it at uh, you get it at third level, I think. Uh, an opportune riposte means any time somebody critically fails. So if someone fumbles, you get to make an attack against them. Much more balanced, and you're not going to be using it all the time. Yeah. And you're going to be getting loads of bonuses to your AC at the same time if you're using a rapier. So that's how they've kind of balanced it out there. You can dodge, you can parry, you can do all of these sort of things. They've got a great ability called One for All. You make a diplomacy check and you can use that as your role to aid an ally. So normally if you want to use the aid action, you have to roll the same check that the other person is doing generally. And if you get very high, maybe you'll succeed at it. With One for All, you basically make a diplomacy check to make a really, to make a really dramatic, inspiring statement. Uh, and then you can use that to help somebody in their turn to a as the aid action. The aid action is is quite tricksy in second edition until you get to higher levels. And I, I played around with it and I worked out by third level, you can make it so that it's impossible for you to critically fail. So you can never put a penalty on it. Uh, and then by about fifth or sixth level, you can get the assurance feat, bolt it onto that, and you are automatically succeeding every turn. Like, just any turn you can just be like haha you get a bonus to your next attack uh, as one action and when you do that you enter panache nice so you you get that yeah which is just so many different things you can do yeah just uh, what does this mean to the future of the scoundrel rogue i can tell you when i did tales from the 20 side and made Arbusto ramirez the um the scoundrel rogue who was a, like a musketeer which Simon has done some amazing art of, you can see on Twitter. I built him as that. I was trying to build a swashbuckler using the rogue stuff. I would say the scoundrel rogue is probably now, it's not going to be your swashbuckler class anymore. What it's going to be is your skill hungry. Like there's a different way of doing it. You're going to be, you're going to be like a swashbuckler, but you're going to be more focused on skills and your backstabs and, and things like that. So you're going to have to lead more on your rogue side of things. If you want to play a musketeer, this is the class to do it with. The feat for second level called After You, you voluntarily move to the bottom of the initiative tracker. You go last in the round, and as a result of that, you immediately gain panache because you allow everyone to go first, and then you get <laughs> flair for doing it. It's ah, it's just, they're great fun. So Tremendous. very different. Very different. Yeah, I think, I think really flavorful. I think there's some real, real fun stuff you can do yeah, with that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, should we should we move on because uh, we we are oh it's going we're yes. going let's we're move going on a we'll do the long. witch we'll do the witch and uh, and then I think there's something else we want to talk about isn't there Dan Scott's favourite class uh, Scott loves the witch and well um, to be fair you will love the everyone witch, loves too. the witch because the witch in certain ways is massively overpowered has this been addressed slumber hex yep the yeah slumber hex, slumber hex is not the game ending. Uh, exploit that it used to be. Slumber you can't hex. just go through an entire AP going slumber coup de grace. Yeah, and that we literally we did that to some of the most powerful monsters you could throw at us, and we just started like, oh yeah, Scott just went to sleep. Like, cool. Yeah. we kill it. There you go. Um, uh, so a so with the witch, you gain your power from a patron that you don't fully understand, and you unlock that basically as you level up. You take as feats, you take lessons, and they are to do with your patron. And those lessons, depending on which ones you pick, will unlock specific hexes. Hexes are focus spells, so they use focus points, you, then you regain them with 10 minutes of refocusing. But you also get hex cantrips based on some very broad ideas of what your patron is. Uh, and they're hexes that you can just constantly use. So you don't get as many spells as a standard spellcaster. 
um, but you can pick from you can get them from different uh, different styles of magic uh, and you get some little cantrips in there as well you also are the best character at having familiars you get loads of familiar abilities uh, and your familiar is your spell book so you you get your spells from your familiar you will be very happy to know people who played first edition and constantly had to just keep their familiar inside a box to stop it dying because it has all your spells in it. Um, if your familiar dies, your patron just gives you a new one tomorrow. You get one when you... There's no none of this wait a year and a day and you can have a new familiar. Really? Like, you, you wake up and your foxes were there waiting for you. I, uh, or a new fox arrives. I'm loving the sort of Japanese kitsune sort of fox uh, familiar there with the nine tails it's very cool it's good yeah. isn't it all the stuff you like is there you can cackle you can get a cauldron to brew spells at very the very top level the level 20 yep you can get a chicken hut that will follow you around loads of fun stuff there so if you like witches i think you will enjoy it they're not as horribly powerful but they're much more flavorful um i, I think you'll really enjoy them they, they, they do feel different to everything else uh, and there are some advanced familiars in this book as well so if you want to have a uh, a pseudo dragon um no fairy dragon sorry um or an imp as a familiar you can do that and the best way to do that is as a is as a witch we then get archetypes without wanting to spend forever on them because there are loads the whole idea of archetypes was to get rid of this idea of a multi-classing system and make it a way for you to specialize. And it's kind of how it worked in first edition, except you had to pick your archetype really early on and it was it was a bit clunky. With this, it's just something you take if you want to specialize your character further on stuff. Uh, and there are multi-class ones you can take like, um, you know, you can take the alchemist, you can take anyone, you can take a fighter one and get some fighter stuff, but it's not what you have to do. I'm aware, by the way, that we've sort of skipped over all the additional. There are loads of extra feats for all of the existing classes as well. So if you want to have those in there, um, you can get those in. Yeah, I, I'm sort of panning through them with the with the uh, the PDF just to give people a sense of you know just there's a lot there, yeah. a lot there for all the yeah. all the classes that you know and love. Rogues, we've got. We get, oh, you're getting we're getting evil champions. If you if playing an evil campaign is your bag, if you wanted to play those then you can play so a uh, you've got the tyrant the desecrator and the good old anti-paladin if you want to play any of them they're all in there the one i particularly like is the tyrant has an ability which forces their opponent to kneel and if they don't kneel they take damage <laughs> that's, just, that's <laughs> lovely Fantastic. we don't really play evil characters but it's there if you want to do it lots of fun stuff with those some new powerful druid stuff Combat assessment for fighters is really nice. You hit someone, you get a free knowledge check straight away to learn something about them, which is a very fightery thing. The drunken monk stance and stumbling stance is there now. If you want to play a drunken master, that's in there. A couple of new rogue records. Eldritch Trickster, get some magic going on there. That would have been good for Big Mike. She had that kind of vibe. And Mastermind, so you're a, you're a, you're a criminal genius you can play moriarty and you can outwit your opponents animal companions there's an ape animal companion now we can make a proper philippe finally philippe's been a bear for the whole of second edition this whole last year he's been a bear with a couple of trait differences now he can be an ape yeah. uh, and i'm very happy about that i've got to say that the uh, the picture of the orc assassin i mean that is the least subtle assassin i have ever seen in right. all of my role-playing <laughs> days good christ if that guy walked into the tavern you'd be like whoa it's time to go well, that's an assassin. Yeah, look yeah. at him. I mean, he's just <laughs> absolutely ridiculous, uh, but in a glorious way. Anyone can take any of these feat dedications and you can use it to specialise your character in, in particular things. 
there are so many in these that I love and that I would want to base whole com um, things around. The Beastmaster is amazing. The Beastmaster lets you have multiple animal companions uh, and it runs it a little bit like a JRPG where basically you can have up to four animal companions but you only have one with you at any given time. The rest are considered to be just off screen somewhere just doing animal stuff and as you go along you can get abilities to basically like mid fight have your animal companions switch out <laughs> and then call extra and and they can all become huge monsters so if you want to be like this is the closest thing to the summoner that we've had if you want to be the person with loads of creatures around you just throwing them at it the Beastmaster does that. Uh, yeah, do, and it's the Beastmaster. I mean, it's the Beastmaster. And it's a, it's a great piece of artwork uh, with the, the sort of lady standing there with her giant badger. But she is wearing yeah. pelts and furs yeah. and teeth and stuff. So, like, if I was one of her creatures, I'd be like, like what's, what's going what's, uh, what's, what, to happen to me then? You've got stuff like Bounty Hunter and um, the Archer and things like that that seem very fightery. But then when you think that you can apply that to a wizard, that suddenly becomes really interesting. You know, you're like, oh, okay, so I, I still get my... Because you still get your spells. These replace your class feats. So you could still be a wizard getting all of the spells you were, but then you're also gaining feats that let you track down people um, and assemble a posse and things like that. And it's like, oh, okay, now I'm a spell-casting bounty hunter. That's yeah. quite fun. The Cavalier, first edition, it was a class in itself. Second edition, it's an archetype. You can apply it to anything. Uh, you could put it on a champion and you get a very similar thing to the Cavalier in first edition or, or a fighter. But you could also be a Cavalier uh, swashbuckler or, a, uh, you know, or an investigator Cavalier. Gives you loads of uh, put up a banner, defend people, uh, ride around on a horse, all that sort of fun stuff. Um, they're really fun. Celebrity, it seems fun. It seems quite a feet-heavy thing to be able to get some of those abilities. I like the idea of having a famous character. Um, I, I'm not sure I would ever take any of these things, although there's probably some fun stuff for a bard in there. The dandy, quite campaign specific, but if you want to be, you know, high society. Dragon Disciples, mad, that's been there, that's been in this game. It's probably an old D&D &D thing, I think. Um, dual Weapon Warrior, some excellent cat folk art there. Um, you've got Big Panther with two curved yeah. blades. That looks really cool. Fun way to specialise in that. The duelist, if you want to specialise even further with your swashbuckler, um, or or indeed make someone else who just likes fighting duels, you can. The eldritch archer, my goodness, that's been in role-playing games forever. Put magic on your arrows, shoot them at people. Familiar master, you want to get really good with familiars? Do more than just draining them? Well, you can now. You can have... Uh, all sorts of uh, crazy familiars. I feel like writing Jason a letter and just being like, rename that goddamn thing. It's just so bad. <laughs> oh, I should say that the witch has got a familiar ability, which is great, where you can just phase your familiar out of reality for a short while if it's in danger. And I was like, that that would be so useful for yeah. a wizard. Let's see. Gladiators, Gladiators yes. herbalists, horizon walkers, like a scout. Linguist. I've always wanted to make a language build. I think that could be really fun. I reckon there's something in that. Uh, and again with the law master you know I, abilities characters that can go that can just get information from the gm i think can be really useful i reckon with the right player that could be well, really they're really powerful. trying to make librarians seem exciting now aren't they with that picture and stuff it's just like no no hey look librarian librarians are exciting <laughs> you are no longer a librarian dan and it wasn't exciting even <laughs> when you were uh, <laughs> Let's, let's not blink yet, all right? There's not a lot of that to work around. <laughs> well, true. Who knows where yeah. we'll end up? It's fine. There's not a lot of libraries around. Nope. The Marshal. I love the Marshal because I love support classes. 
the marshal just all of their abilities make your allies stronger you just give tactics out to people you're going to get loads of bonus all your abilities are going to give your mates bonuses uh, make the rest of the party stronger and there are lots of feats in there some of these have some of these uh, architects only have a few feats the marshal's got loads so you could pick loads of things as you're leveling up if you want to be your party's leader the nice thing with archetypes is you can fill out levels where your class feats are not very interesting which you know there's always a lot of class feats but if you if you're like well i don't really fancy the fighter feats at this level okay cool let's take a level of martial and then you can start you know buffing everyone around us mm -hmm. as well martial artist if you want to do a bit of uh, kung fu and you're not a monk you can do that mauler i think is just about Mauler might be quite a good thing for Fulton, actually. Um, just get really good with two-handed weapons, just beating people up, knocking them down. Yeah. The Medic, loads of healing, pile extra healing on there, and it's it's healing that you get that isn't just magical, so you can do other things like that. Doctor's Visitation lets you basically stride and treat wounds for an action, so you can just walk straight up to somebody and heal them, which is quite useful. Got Pirate, obviously. Got other Pirate. Tengu there with his big hat. Uh, poisoner, ritualist. Okay, rituals are a whole thing in their own in second edition. If you know rituals, you'll probably find some really, I bet some really clever players will make some incredibly powerful builds using a ritualist, because um, rituals are things like summoning and binding demons or raising the dead. Interestingly, my favorite first edition spell is back in this book, reincarnate is a new thing. And yes, it does bring people back as a random ancestry. So, uh, have fun accidentally bringing somebody back as a shuni one day. Um, that is now possible. Um, so expect me now to immediately give you the opportunity to do that in the game and then aggressively try and kill one of you so I can see yeah. it in action. Well, the only time it's... we ever did it, they came back as a human. <laughs> Literally. It was I know, a, it was so disappointing. Uh, yeah, roll a D100. It's like the, the seven points that you could come back as human. They did. It's like, oh, well, that worked. <laughs> like, what? No. He can come back as a mud that. man and stuff. It's ridiculous. No, I want to. Oh, that's something crazy. I'll come back as a leshy. Oh, no. Scouts. Um, oh, the scouts. That was one of those fans. Scouts charge is really good. Um, so scouts charge is like a sort of you meander around the battlefield and then just suddenly charge someone. So it's a two actions. You get to stride up and attack somebody, but on the way you get to make a feint attempt as, against them as well. So you try and convince them that you're not going after them and then suddenly you hit them. Nice. Which, if you combine that with sneak attack, suddenly that becomes really nice. Like you just look like you're going somewhere else and then just suddenly you ambush somebody out of nowhere. That sounds really That's fun. Cool. And it, it, it brings back the scout class that was in... I think it was 3.5, the scout class, where you could, uh, where you basically you got damage bonuses if you kept moving. Uh, and I really like that. It keeps making you move around. Scroll trickster, get good with scrolls. Scrounger, that's very goblin-y. Build stuff out of crap you find lying around. The sentinel, if you just want to be a... <laughs> very much like the piece of art. If you want to be a block, a weeble that sits on the ground and does not move, then you get that. Shadow dance is an old school one, so you're jumping around through the shadows. Snare Crafter, very koboldy. Make Traps. Talisman Dabbler, another really specific thing. Talisman Magic, I don't really know it. I've looked at it a bit. It looks pretty powerful. So if you want to get great with talismans, um, making little trinkets, attaching them to your kit, giving them to people, that's going to be something that will be you'll find a lot to like in that. And that's cr some crazy weird art, the talisman. Yeah, that's great. Or she, proper, who knows? Proper creepy. It's like, is, it, is, that, is that eyeballs on the sleeve? Is that, I don't know. 
Um, that's an example of that slightly sketchy, washed-out art style that I actually really like in yeah. this one. I think that one's really nice. The Vigilante, controversial character Troy, character class in uh, first edition. You are Batman, so you you have two identities. You switch between them. Ross played one at Pisocon UK, played the iconic one at high levels, and it was stupidly powerful because you can just backflip over people and then get damage bonuses and it, it was crazy. But if you want to play a superhero, you can do that. Uh, but now you could, don't have to, ta it doesn't have to be your entire character choice. It doesn't have to be your entire life is based around this. You can just take a couple of bits of it and you can be like, okay, I'm mostly going to be a sorcerer, but also I moonlight as this, as this dashing defender of liberty or a master criminal. So you get your dual. You can switch identities out, um, and then as you level up, you can like you know you can have, you can set up a safe house. You can have all these sort of extra little bonuses. I I, I will be interested to see people play with that. I as I said earlier, I think this will pair very nicely with the royalty background. I like the idea of a princess who literally has an ulterior uh, identity that is their adventuring mm -hmm. side. I think there could be some really fun stuff with this. It is an un it's uncommon, which means check with your GM. I think working with your GM, I think you could make something really fun with it. It is inherently still quite a stupid character class for a fantasy role-playing game, but I think it could be made to work if you know what you're doing with it. So it, I, I would be really interested to see what people do with mm. this class. You know, your mileage will vary. Uh, and then you get a Viking. And a weapon. Oh, the weapon improviser is really fun. Weapon improviser means you're really good at fighting with whatever you find around you. So you get skills that let you just smash someone in the face with a nice. chair. <laughs> Which, you know, for any wrestling fans, you'll enjoy that. I don't know mechanically if it's a great build, but I, I just like the art of the person with a stool over their head uh, having things. In terms of the rest of the book, as you would expect from a, um, from a Pathfinder book, there are loads of feats, there are loads of new spells. Yeah. There are loads of new bits of equipment, um, stuff like a sword cane. That's nice. Finally get a sword cane in there. Uh, we are not going to run through all of that because, you know, that's the sort of stuff that I you want to go through. I would not let you run through that. I mean, looking at the feats list <laughs> when you're picking a feat is, is enough. Um, I think actually going through it bit by bit, everyone's feet, that is a, whew, it's a lovely sunny day. Let's, let's get the, some vitamin D. The nice thing is that the, um, the feats lists are less intimidating in second edition because it's very rare that there's there's not like just one big feat list that you have to just pick something from a thousand different options you know you will already have been narrowed down quite a bit by the character yeah. choices you're making and then you will pick from a short list within that of what your things are so although there are all of these options in here actually by the time you get to choosing your options are much more limited right. which is one of the nice things which from is good. that which is good. Um, yeah it's it's what you need. It was the whole it's the whole ethos of second edition really is to make it sort of more straightforward. And then uh, yeah, if you're an alchemist, there are loads of new alchemical items in here as well. So I'm going to be directing Ross to this book to go and have a look through it because Beelzebub just gained a whole load of new fun things that he can use to accidentally blow his friends up with. So I'm sure you'll all be very excited about mm. that. I do quite like uh, just going through the spells list. Um, <clears throat> some of the characters have been introduced to earlier in the book casting all sorts of different spells so it's not just you know mm. you've got the investigator casting a rope spell and you've got someone else casting spells so it's making spells for everybody not just for a select few exactly and it's one of those things that's much easier to dip into now with uh, with the ability of things there you go so that is the advanced player's guide if you are 
I, I mean, I would agree. I think that it is, if you are a GM, if you are serious about Pathfinder, it's well worth picking up. It is an essential book because there is so much cool stuff in there. And there are so many cool things about second edition that were in the core book, like um, like the archetype system, like the um, versatile heritages, which we were promised a year ago when second edition came out. They are now really becoming they're coming to fruition now um, and they're starting to feel like um, the game that we always wanted them to be so we're finally getting to see those it is like i say it is an advanced guide so if you are a casual player you do not need this book um, if you just want to play a fighter uh, or if you want to play one of the core classes you absolutely don't have to pick this book up but if you find that you're not getting you're not able to build the kind of character you want to build from it then I, then you'll find some stuff in there that you will like. How do you feel, James? Do you excited about the the APG? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's it's one of those things where, you know, you can have a quick flick through and then see stuff uh, like we have, like, oh, oh, the rat folk look interesting, um, and I quite like an investigator rat folk with, uh, and let's let's throw a different archetype in there as well. So let's have a sort of bounty hunting, investigating rat folk who like, you know, and you can see these sorts of stories developing, which I think is the important thing with any any player guides to, to inspire you to be like, ah, oh, that gives me an idea. And then it's doing its job properly. And I yep. think it does great. It's a great job. It, it will do nothing. I can tell you that um, the chances of me carrying on playing the society character I rolled for this weekend are probably quite slim because I'm already thinking about a load of new characters yeah, I want to roll. Definitely. Um, based on some of this stuff. I will quickly, before we wrap this up, because it's not the only book that's out today, we're not going to do full reviews of everything because it's taken us nearly two <laughs> hours to do this review. And I think it needed it because it's a big book. Something. There's other stuff that is out. Agents of Edge Watch is out, which is the new uh, adventure path about City Watch. Uh, as has been said, that the adventure path where you play cops is problematic for some people. They have tried to address it with the player's guide for it, which allows you to mod it so that it's not about the police if, if you're uncomfortable with that. I mean, I would say that we are not the people to comment on whether that adventure path is problematic or not if it's problematic to you then it's yeah. problematic that's that's all there is to it but it is there it is out and there are ways for you to play it in a way that suits you and that we hope you enjoy it we won't be playing it on the show for starfinder there's the starship operations manual so you get loads of stuff about space combat uh, it very excitingly has the squadron rules so you can do dog fights now uh, you can have your x-wing thing rather than it being sort of star trek style big lumbering ships moving around you can fire around with that it has the very much anticipated voltron rules uh, where you can have lots of small ships that transform into one big ship um, that sounds really fun as well i haven't read the whole book but it, i've had a skim through and looked at all the part the artwork of all the new starships and that looks really fun uh, and the last one that i wanted to talk about very briefly is lost omens legends which is the other second edition right. book that's coming say out? That uh, I have actually managed to conjure up a uh, the Lost Omens Legends right next to you. So it is you are currently being oh, displayed well done. Uh, next to you. Uh, what a picture on the front! It's great, isn't it? So, you, so Lost Omens Legends is a book about some of the famous NPCs, effectively some of the famous figures uh, from Pathfinder, some of the famous characters that exist in in the in the in the world of Galarian. And the reason I wanted to kind of point this out was that I think this is this is the best Pathfinder book that almost no one will read, because straight it was the one I was least excited about, um, 
and it doesn't feel essential because how often is your character really going to meet the Queen of Chelyax? You know, if you're GMing a game, do you really want to use any of these um, characters? Are they going to be the ones that you're going to put into your campaign? It is a really good book. <laughs> like, having read a bit of it, it's just really well written. They brought lots of freelancers in. It's really interesting. It fleshes out the you know what i would say was the quite short lost omens world guide with a lot more information you know if you want to know about chelyax a great way to know about chelyax is reading all about queen abigail um abigail and how she rules that because you'll find loads more about the world in there and it has loads of really interesting little tidbits in it my favorite bit is in the chelyax section it's got an example of an infernal contract so it's got some rules for how you might in enter into an infernal contract with the royal family, which will give you things, but then they'll call it back. But then it has a whole page, which is an example of an infernal contract. And it's all written in proper legalese. They got Ron Landine, who is a qualified author, a qualified lawyer, as well as um, a writer of Paiso and developer of Paiso. Um, they got him to write it. So it literally reads like a legal contract and if you properly read the whole thing through, it's really boring because it's deliberately meant to be. It's this whole contract. And if you get to the end of it and you really understand it, you are like, oh no, I have sold my soul to the devil if I sign this. But it's just buried in all this small print. It's tremendous. And it's just, yeah, there's so much lovely, lovely stuff in there. You absolutely do not need this book if you are running a campaign. Um, you know, it is all extra flavor. But if you love Galarian, you're going to really enjoy it. You, like, you will read this book cover to cover. So do not let it pass you by just because you think that um, you don't want to use these characters in it. I think you'll still find some stuff in there that you will like. And I think it is that it's very much just an indication of how rich the world of Galarian is and how much, you know, if you want to put in there, uh, it's available. It's taken us nearly two hours to go over mm. a couple of things. I mean, it really is. We'd, we'd be here all day uh, if we went through everything. Mm. And also, I think there's an element of discovery. Dive in there. Have a look. Um, see what, what conjures up. You might see a feat you liked and build a, a class around, uh, a character around that. Or a, uh, just to, you know, pick something like a rat folk and be like, yeah, I want to be a rat folk. Are you Soki? Yeah. And, and base everything around that. I think that's some of the joy, really. Picking one thing you like and then building the rest. So dive in. If you've enjoyed this, we're going to put the audio of this out on the podcast feed so you'll be able to listen to that as well. If you've enjoyed this, please let us know uh, and we'll, maybe we'll do more reviews. We get sent stuff by Paizo a lot and I'm always trying to find ways to get it in to justify the fact they've sent us it. You know, If we can do reviews then and they're, and they're useful to you and we're not just doing them for the, for the heck of it, then um, please let us know because we, we would love to do some more of them and we'd love to talk about this sort of stuff. Uh, a bit more uh, and do a bit more Twitch yeah. as well because we like a bit of that. James, do you want to promote your Twitch channel um, before we yeah, go? Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose could do. Uh, I know a lot of the Dangerings have already uh, been watching, so thanks very much. So it's twitch.tv forward slash foxy underscore Lockhart. And um, yeah, go work on a schedule to do a regular thing. I play some magic and things like that. But something that's also been quite popular is playing fighting fantasy. Remember those? On, uh, on Tuesday evenings at seven o'clock GMT. Um, so we're basically playing together a fighting fantasy novel uh, and uh, where well, you are the hero. So we're playing it together. But um, do pop in and uh, yeah, yeah, we're going to try and make the, D the DCP Twitch channel a little bit more of a thing. So we'll try and get that chat working and other things. But um, thanks so much for joining us. It's been great. Have some fun yeah. time. Whatever you are doing over Gen Con weekend, 
have fun with it. Obviously, some of us were meant to be there. I should be there right now, uh, having day one of Gen Con. Uh, and I'm not, I'm sat at home, but I'm still having fun. I'm going to be playing some games later on online for it. Actually, later on today, uh, I'm going to be playing the first of those games. I'm going to be playing a bit of Starfinder. So if you're doing uh, Gen Con online, have a wonderful time. Uh, whatever you are doing, um, have a good time. Stay safe. Please enjoy our bonus episodes. If you haven't listened to them yet, go and listen to our Kobolds Just, episode. Go and listen to our Shania episodes. Oh, out of interest, so if somebody is interested in playing uh, a game with you, uh, is there something specifically you're going to be playing at Gen Con? Um, I'm already signed up to a few society games. Uh, so I'm doing a bit of Starfinder tonight, and I think Sunday I'm doing some Starfinder, and I'm doing some, sat- some um, Pathfinder on Saturday. Um, but maybe we will try and arrange a little mini online uh, danger con or something like that we'll, we'll play a few games through club club that'll be great um, yeah i want to get involved with club club who's want to get involved with club club that'd be fun wouldn't it we'll, we'll talk about that we'll sort it out but whatever you do have a wonderful Absolutely. weekend all of you thank you so much for joining all of us and uh, we will see you uh, see you on monday for some Hells more danger yeah. club Okay. In a world of heroes, villains, six British actors will come together to play Pathfinder. It's sort of like D&D, but also really not like D&D. Join Falter. I immediately regret this decision. Caragor. Oh, I see you, Kenneth. Velda. Hold my arcane powers. Shania. Yes, I've cracked the case. M. Now kill him. <laughs> and the Dungeon Master for an actual play podcast that takes adventure seriously. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher and from DangerClubPodcast.com Danger Club, let's roll. God, doing that voice hurts.